Welcome to Local Share Green Action Podcast. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a 501c3 nonprofit providing tools and resources for people that are looking for ways to take even more successful local action that makes a difference for our people and our planet. And today on our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who, after decades of work as professional environmentalist, concluded that a new approach, one focused not just on environment, but on the environmentalist, was needed. I'm very excited to be speaking with Don Pierce, a professional environmentalist. Don has spent nearly his whole life working to protect the environment. He formed his first environmental group, a tree planting club, when he was only nine. He went on to lead numerous environmental groups, including Midwest Representative of Friends of the Earth and the Illinois chapter of the Sierra Club. He was a governor appointed member of the Illinois Nature Preserves Commission. Don has a bachelor's degree in environmental science, a master's degree in political science, and a master's degree in social work. When famed conservationist David Brower asked him to write a piece to show environmentalists how to persevere, the result was a series of online courses, good for both environmentalists and anyone seeking happiness and the preservation of nature. This series, The Heartwood Path, works to help people develop spiritually, discover the benefits of communing with and helping nature, and to find happiness that comes from helping others. When Don is not working to protect the environment or guiding people down the Heartwood path, Don is a qualified life coach and a mental health practitioner. Don Pierce, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led to your work helping to protect and preserve our natural environment and those seeking to do the same. So what planted the seed for you to want to take some kind of earth-friendly action originally? And I realized that went back pretty far in your life. Well, it all started really back when I was living in East St. Louis, my greater family. My cousin used to tease me and I would go to school and she would make fun of the hat I wore or whatever. And I think some of the boys that had a crush on her thought that they would score points with her if they would give me a rough time after school. So I had to run home really fast. And what I did is I created a, a maze of trails through the weeds along a uh, swamp. And I jumped in, the, actually we spent many, many hours, days really, in this chest deep in swamp water, trying to stay away from I call them the, the mean boys. And uh, if they caught me, they would they would hang me upside down and knock my head into the mud, uh, put dents in the gumbo till all the change fell out. And so I think what happened was unconsciously, I was associating nature with safety and security. And uh, later as pleasure, because I got to know the animals in the swamp water, you know, nobody goes in swamp water. Nobody would follow me in there. But I was in there and learned to become perfectly happy in there. And then a few years later, the instant, most environmentalists have an instant that they can consciously say they started their involvement. And mine was, I was uh, floating some sticks in a swollen stream after a rain. And I noticed a sycamore tree that had leaves about three times bigger than normal. I said, look, Doug, my, my friend, look at the size of the leaf. He goes, well, that's a sycamore leaf. I said, what do you mean it's a sycamore leaf? And he goes, well, that's a sycamore, that's an elm, that's a maple, that's an oak. And it was like lightning hit my head. I had to uh, go to uh, learn everything I could about it. And at first I just thought, well, if I just learned everything about it, that somehow these things that I grew to love would be saved. But eventually I discovered that you had to get involved in the political process 
these things that way back when I was running for the Bead Boys, you know, I, I learned to, uh, to love and uh, cherish and want to protect. Wow, that's, that's quite a story. Um, if you could, please tell us some of the things that you do as a professional environmentalist. Well, uh, I started um, in high school. I started the recycling center for a city. And then I went to college. I started another recycling center for that city. And then I uh, became the president of the environmental education organization and uh, brought speakers to the campus. And one of the speakers was an idol of mine, a man named David Brower. He was the uh, president of the Sierra, or executive director of the Sierra Club for most of my youth. And, uh, but he had been fired and started an organization called Friends of the Earth. And I brought him to campus and he uh, found out that I was the local environmental guy and said, well, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm fighting Lock and Dam 26 on the Mississippi River, the largest public works project in the nation at the time, a billion dollar project just for that dam. And then it was gonna go on from there. But uh, he said, well, once you win that battle, you're gonna be out of work, which I never thought about. <laughs> But uh, he said, I'll, I'll hire you to be the Midwest rep for Friends of the Earth. And while I was there, something called the Irish Wilderness, which is Missouri's largest forest and a uh, place I loved. And then found out that they were going to build a dam on the Merrimack River where I like to go canoeing. And I said, oh, no, they're not. <laughs> and uh, stop that, you know, work, led, help, help lead the effort to stop that dam. <laughs> and then was called upon to uh, be be one of the lobbyists for the second largest conservation law ever passed, which was the Alaska Lands Act that preserved over tens and tens of millions of acres of wilderness and created national parks and everything up there in Alaska. And after the passage of the law that created the National Park Service, that's the biggest single act of protecting land ever anywhere on earth. And I was very... Uh, fortunate to be the guy that would lobby all the Midwestern representatives and was able to change some of their votes to, to vote for it. And, uh, that's probably uh, the greatest achievement in terms of protecting land, uh, public land that, that I've been involved in. Wow. That's amazing. So would you say you've worked as a lobbyist most of the time as a professional environmentalist? No, I, I would say uh, I split my time up from being in Washington, D.C. or being in various capitals around the Midwest. I, I covered Missouri and all adjoining states for uh, the Friends of the Earth, and I, I just helped set up uh, organizations to work on whatever local causes they had. And I became good at what, what I was doing, and other people wanted to find out how you were being so successful. And... Then eventually, David Brower said, why don't you write a, a, a piece, he called it, on how to prevent burnout in environmentalists. David Brower basically invented the modern environmental movement and uh, with the act to uh, protect the Grand Canyon from being flooded by a dam. And, but, but he didn't really set up a way to take care of the environmentalists. And so that piece that he asked me to write has turned into nine nine books like this that, that I have. It's called The Heartwood Path. And through those books, I, I found out 
through researching those books, I discovered that what helps environmentalists not burn out is also good generally for people's health, provides them with information and guidance for their growth. And then I finally dawned on me that maybe trying to save the earth one place at a time was not gonna be successful, particularly after the change of Congress in 1992, when all of the leadership of all the committees were hostile to the environment. We weren't gonna be able to pass any more wilderness for a while. But rather than do nothing, I switched to uh, seeing what I could do to get people to think in a way that would automatically help them be a supporter of protecting the environment and even uh, to work actively without crashing, which was finally doing what David Brower asked me to do by writing that piece. Before we get into that more, I wanted to ask you, with, with such a diverse educational background, have you found that studying political science and social work has helped you to understand the challenges of climate justice at deeper levels? And has that increased understanding helped you to be more effective as an environmentalist? Yes, I sort of specialized during my entire education. I, my undergraduate degree was in the college general studies, which was I uh, took all the environmental courses across all the curriculum and kind of specialized in being a generalist. And somebody has to figure out how to tie everything together. And that's really what I, I didn't want to just be a uh, agricultural specialist or, or, or botany specialist or an insect specialist, but I wanted to be able to tie everything I could together that would protect it. And so eventually I needed to learn more than just about birds and bunnies. I, need to, I, I discovered that through my work with various organizations that we would be a lot more effective if people weren't dropping out. Uh, and which was happening constantly. So what was it that would bolster a person to be able to hang in there? And the degrees started uh, that process of teaching me more about the person rather than the environment. And, I, you know, it, the job of protecting the environment is a huge project. Gl climate change work is huge. But if you could find a fulcrum, something that, that you push this little fulcrum, it changes the whole. And sure enough, changing people's mindsets was that fulcrum that, 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 that could be done. I don't have to work on protecting the entire environment. I can just work on one person at a time and help them grow spiritually. And that is a fulcrum that could uh, help us protect the environment. So the political science degree was helpful because if you want to hang in there with the environmental movement and keep working on it. And, decide the right thing to do as you're working on it. Uh, it's important to uh, be happy, generally. And uh, a lot of the people that uh, I worked with, they, they had all kinds of personal problems that, that would just knock them out of the water. And um, if you get, if I, the more I got them involved in the politics of it, is I gave them a sense of purpose and a feeling of, of themselves that there's more to me than just what's inside my skin. And working in committees in your community for the good of the whole, uh, that, that really uh, helped a person with their happiness. They wouldn't burn out. We'd have environmentalists that we wouldn't have to uh, re-pull uh, out of the woodwork, you know, when, when other people had dropped by the wayside. So uh, I, I, you know, I had to go and learn how, how to do politics because I was lobbying and 
You know, in order to win a battle, it, it didn't take learning about the birds and bunnies to win the battle. It took Hubert Humphrey to sit down with a piece of on an envelope and write out something calculation and solve the entire problem in 15 seconds, which is one reason why he's probably considered the time the lion of the Senate. I was sitting in his office and he goes, "Oh, you want to have a user fee?" And, and I can't vote. I can't vote with you, but I'll put a cap on the user fee, and, and, and uh, that cap will actually be more money than what you want to raise anyway. But I'll go back and tell all the farmers that I put a cap on the on the fee that for shipping their grain. And it was a genius. He made everybody happy, and uh, uh, it's it's politics, and, and it helped protect the environment. It helped protect the entire Upper Mississippi River system, and he just did that right on a, a calculation on the back of a piece of envelope. And it, so politics was important, but then I I did the uh, social work because uh, I was interested in growing my compassion muscle. You know, the the you you become happier. When you're compassionate, it's a higher level of joy that you can't get by having your third house and your fourth boat and your second car and all this stuff. But by helping other people, particularly those that you don't even know, and particularly those that you don't even particularly like, because they're they're uh, aggressive or, or 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 having behaviors and statements and things that you just don't like, well, it's because they have a disability or a mental illness. And if you can figure out how to hang in there and take care of the people that are that are the anawim, that's a that's a phrase that means the voiceless. Well, the the mentally ill are an anim, anawim because they don't have a big political lobby. Uh, nature is an anawim; it doesn't have anybody speaking for it. And if you can help figure out how to be compassionate to elements that you might not that n- normally people would shun, then you're compassion muscle grows and you you uh, uh, get the benefit yourself the biggest benefit is to yourself it's it's like it's like uh, forgiveness the biggest benefit isn't to the person that you forgive it's you lifting the weight of it so these are the sorts of things that the education provided to me that I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have gotten had I just uh, stuck with learning about plants and animals and geology and whatnot yeah, that I can see where that definitely gave you much more of a whole picture. I wanted to ask you now more about um, Heartwood and like to know a little bit about how your program works. Well, uh, it's a series of books, and sometimes we do courses. And the whole point of it is to get people out of their indoor environment away from words and video images and out into nature. You know, for the bulk of our uh, history and prehistory as a species, we lived outside in nature. We became the great species that we are honed in nature. And just in the last blip of a second, we've been indoors, watching the television, sitting on the couch, figuring out what we need to buy next, and, and totally detached from what's going on right outside the door. So what we try to do is get people outside where they can breathe in the fresh air. In nature, it's full of negative ions that, bring, that itself breathing in makes you happy. Uh, and get them close to a, now most people call it a, a natural object, but that means that it doesn't have any sentience, any in, inner 
world activity. All of nature has an inner world activity and, and the, we call them natural beings. So we get you, get you out of your, off your couch outside and um, through a variety of methods, you get guidance, information and healing from the experiences you have outside. And the whole book series is all the different hundreds of things that you can do to uh, make nature help you feel better or know what to do uh, in situations. And nature has intelligence. It de developed its entire system uh, without, without pollution, all this beauty, all this diversity. And there's so much intelligence there, but we're, we don't know how to tap it anymore because we've forgotten as a species because we're, we're, not, we're not relating to it anymore. So the whole, the fulcrum is how to get people to feel one with nature, to be able to actually interact with it through senses that we normally don't think of. Now there are 54 natural senses, not just six senses. And when you use all of them, you are using your senses in the same way that nature uses its senses and you automatically uh, become attuned to it. And so that's, that's what the Heartwood Path does all for the purpose of protecting the environment and making you happy in the result of doing that. that that's great. Have you been doing follow-up with some of your participants and finding out if they've been able to retain some of the help that they're receiving through your program and maybe share an experience that they've had? So maybe that's an example. I, I, one of my favorite ones is uh, a lady was having severe distress and uh, came to me and I said, let's, let's just take a walk. We're, we're, let's just go down to the beach. So we went and we sat on the beach. I just asked her, um, what uh, do you see that is most attractive to you at this moment? She looked around, she said, the kelp. And I said, okay, what is it about kelp? that you like. Well, it's anchored in one spot, but it can flow wherever it wants to go. And so it's kind of a combination of being anchored and flowing where you want to go. I said, okay, keep that in mind and tell me in your life about being anchored. Tell me in your life about going where you want to go. Months later, she calls me up and she says, well, I discovered that the reason I like the kelp was because I would like, I didn't know it, but I would like to get married to someone who would give me a base house to live in, but not control me so much that I can't flow like the kelp where I want to go. Not randomly off, you know, without being anchored, but just the combination of the two. And so uh, that happens over and over. And, and uh, she was able to uh, get rid of a lot of her anxiety and, and uh, uh, depression uh, by realizing that you know, she, she didn't need to fear being married. She, you know, she said, I, okay, I can tolerate this as long as I have that freedom. And she learned more about her own boundaries, her own needs, and did that by the kilt along uh, the beach in near Santa Barbara, California. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. As, um, as an environmentalist working uh, to protect the earth and helping environmentalists themselves, 
What is maybe one of the challenges that you faced and how have you overcome it? Repeatedly, early on, the biggest challenge was the anxiety of the possibility that I might lose the effort, lose the battle. We, we looked at it as a battle back then. And, and that's how Brower looked at it. Uh, he was a military person and uh, earlier on in his life. And, and uh, he, he, his idea was to defeat the enemy and save the environment. And um, the anxiety that I might lose the Merrimack River or the Irish wilderness, it was, it was too much. Now, it was enough fear to propel me into action. You know, fear can get you going, but can also turn around and slap you. <laughs> so if, if uh, we had not been successful, it would have been devastating to me because I was attached to the result. And that's one of the things that we encourage environmentalists to do is work to save something. But just because people don't turn up for your hearing or just because uh, you're like we were on the Merrimack Dam, they were building the dam year after year after year until finally we stopped it. And every year we went to Congress to try to get appropriations stopped. And they said, no, we're gonna to continue to do that. And it wasn't until about the eighth year that all of a sudden everything fell into place and uh, we were able to be successful. But uh, the anxiety of the possibility of losing the battle was uh, the biggest challenge. And the way to overcome it is to not be attached to the outcome. As hard as that seems, to just say, I'm, I, I'm going to just work on this and do the best I can, and, but I can't let it defeat me. And, and that's if, if we don't, you know, every little step along the way, if it doesn't work out great, eventually with enough people helping you and you set yourself on the right course, you know, success will come. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that because that's, I think we all have some aspect of that to deal with in the environmental movements. And um, what are some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards? I would say just winning. <laughs> winning conservation battles really feels good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's at the lower level, though. I mean, it, it, it's uh, to be able to say that you've protected 88 million acres of wilderness. Yeah or help, help lead the effort to protect 88 million acres of wilderness and to go there and see what you protect. And, and, and uh, that, that's, that's an enormous reward. But even bigger than that is just knowing that you're growing as a person wow. to uh, be where the separation between yourself and nature is gone, that, that you, you, you feel one with a, a, a spiritual entity that's nature that is um, so uh, intelligent and so uh, helpful and, and so uh, beautiful that uh, you just, um, the joy doesn't go away. And, and, and that's, that's even bigger than winning all the conservation battles. If you're ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others, what advice would you give to someone who is also considering some types of environmental action that you've taken in their local area? Well, mind your English, do your homework, 
and care and uh, don't be attached to the outcome of the effort uh, because uh, there'll, there'll be downfalls along the way, uh, which are really rough, but not winning at the hearing doesn't mean that the wilderness is gone. It just means that, the, that there's a separation between the hearing and the wilderness itself. The wilderness goes on, even though you didn't get enough people at the hearing. And so if you remain unattached to it, then you can just go on to the next thing until finally, uh, it seems like the public joins the effort after you lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. And finally you don't give up and you're still in there. People are like, hey, there must be something to this. These guys keep on coming back there. Otherwise they'd be idiot, you know? And, and so, uh, you know, after year after year of going to Congress trying to stop the funding, and then finally uh, people said, well, let me look into this. And, and yeah, okay, we agree that, that the river would be better than a lake. And, and, and that why, why should we flood more land permanently than we're gonna prevent from floods temporarily from, from the dam and all, all, of, all the technical reasons, I'm not gonna bore you with that, but uh, they, uh, uh, they join the effort and, and that's, that's uh, how, how you win how, how you, and, and how you be happy. Do you have um, any wisdom that you'd like to share in terms of working with people on a team? Maybe some of the volunteers that you worked with in the uh, Sierra Club or um, people in the community that wanted to help uh, your causes over the years? Yeah, just treat the others as people. Get to know them on a, on a personal level. Be friends with them, not just work allies on, on the conservation battle realize that you know everybody has something different to contribute find out what that is and encourage them to grow but don't force them into situations that that they're not prepared for that's the main thing i would say okay so as we wrap up i wanted to ask you uh, what resource would you like to recommend maybe a book or website video or a podcast that has been particularly helpful or inspiring to you well, clearly, clearly the book is uh, Walden by Henry David Thoreau. It's uh, it's it's the ultimate uh, environmental book. But beyond that, it's it's I consider it the greatest piece of American literature. And uh, things that were said in there are so powerful, and they're, and they're said in 1830. I mean, how's the guy? How's the guy do this? You know, how's he, how does he know? Well, you know, he spent his time in nature. He 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 related to nature. He got wisdom from nature. He got guidance from nature. He loved nature and, and was able to, uh, like I said, mind your English. He was able to say it in a, in a most beautiful way. And uh, so I would say the book would be, would be that. I, I would say read up as much as you can about David Brower. He has autobiography and, and books written about him. Uh, he uh, basically... Um, started the environmental movement, modern environmental movement, figured out how it should be. And he's gone now, but he was my biggest mentor. And my daughters would have been named after him had they been boys. And he, 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 he was uh, a, a little, he didn't quite take the approach that I'm taking now, but he showed me the, the approach that led to it. And uh, it, it's a fantastic way. What you do is you win conservation battles by getting people to, uh, through media, write letters to Congress. We can't, we can't buy Congress like the opposition can, but we can win votes 
and by uh, turning in lots of letters and voting. And so that's the, those are our, our, our efforts. And I would encourage people to get to know his approach because it, it, saves, it saves the world, basically. Well said. Um, so please tell us uh, how people can learn more about your work, uh, find your books, and participate in the Hardwood Path program, or even receive life coaching. Okay, all, all of that can be answered just by going to the website, which is www.heartwoodpath.com. And um, we'll also have your social media uh, links um, added to the show notes so people can find you there as well. I want to thank you for the great work that you're doing and taking the time to share that with our listeners today. You know, what you've done over the years, it's, it's truly commendable. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you haven't yet visited your local Green Online Hub, then please visit gogreenlocally.org and check out the directories for events, groups, businesses, online resources, and local support listings for your area. If you find something is missing, then let us know or just log in and add it. These are community free sharing directories.